Listener Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Every week in this podcast, we choose an issue that's uh, going on in the world somewhere. It could be political or otherwise. And Keith breaks it down for our audiences, you. There is no one better place to do this. He, and you just explain it so well, Keith, in Thank layman's you. <laughs> terms. Like you, you really, yeah, you can break it down for people like me who might need to explain in very basic sort of terminology. By the way, first of all, Keith has three APHDs and he's also renowned in the industry around Australia, media commentator on international relations and overseas as well. And my name's Kate Mack and I produce this this podcast as well as, well, I guess just asking the questions that probably most people would be thinking on these sorts of topics. Anyway, today we are, this is, this is the irony <laughs> because we've had bushfires in Australia. We've de- decimated a landscape in people's businesses or, you know, in different areas. Uh, we've in the midst of the coronavirus epidemic, it is decimating societies around the world, our own included. Economies are, are struggling and will continue to struggle for many months to come. And yet, Keith, it has been a cracker of a year for humanity in general. <laughs> Indeed. I thought that as we're so worried about the coronavirus, we might look at some good news. This is an article I came across at the end of last year by Nicholas Kristof. Uh, in the New York Times, who says this has been the best year ever. So he provides us with a very big picture and argues that 2019 has been the best year ever for humanity. So one of the ways in which he looks at it is is the escape from extreme poverty. We're very worried about the prospect of a global recession, perhaps even depression, because of what's going on uh, with the coronavirus. But he makes the point that the proportion of the world's population who exists on about $2 a day or less has actually dropped by more than 75% in four decades. So in other words, the the very poor are getting a bit richer. It's still a tough life. I don't want to glamorise the poverty. It's still tough, but it's working out a lot better for them than we might have um, thought, you know, 40 years ago. So he says that As recently as 1981, 42% of the planet's population endured extreme poverty, which means that you're living on less than $2 a day. That proportion has gone down from 42% to 10% of the world's population. So overall, there's been an increase in wealth for people at the bottom. I realise that there are issues of inequality, etc. But if you're looking at some of the extreme pictures then that is good news. Also good news are the diseases like polio, leprosy, river blindness are all on the decline and global efforts have turned the tides on AIDS. Um, a major- a half a century ago, that's 50 years ago, a majority of the world's people had always been illiterate. Now we are approaching 90% adult literacy. And I tell my students at Boston University that what they're competing against are not just students at at Harvard or New York University. They are competing now against African kids who I talk in Australia during the day. It's night at Africa. And in Africa, in parts of Africa, you've got kids who sit around the outskirts of airfields or in the middle of roundabouts because there is a continuous stream of light coming onto those airfields. If they're at home, 
there'll be power outages, but authorities keep the airfields alight for planes coming and going. And you see the kids there with their textbooks studying hard. And this is, you know, we have come out of an era when those of us with white faces ran the world. And increasingly now you've got a new generation of ambitious people, people of colour, who want to learn. Uh, It's been a lovely experiment done with giving kids little computers. No instructions, just give them the computer, turn them loose, and they work out how to operate the computer. It's not sophisticated. It's not this overly complicated stuff that we have to put up with in Australia. Very basic computers, and kids work it out how to use these computers. And it's, it is interesting, Keith, because it's it's not long ago we did a podcast on the state of Africa, really, and how you know kids over there are without electricity in some parts of Nigeria and other countries, plenty of countries over there, in fact, who go to the streetlights and sit there at night studying, you know, on the street corner because they just want to learn, and then these guys are thirsty for that. Which parts of the world are we seeing a huge increase in literacy rates? Well, certainly throughout Africa and increasingly throughout parts of the Middle East and, and also, of course, India. And what is interesting is that education is the best form of birth control, that an educated woman will tend to have fewer children. So you have these horror stories of women who have children from the age of 12 onwards, 13 onwards, you know, with several children. And the late Kathleen... Hamlin, she did a lot of um, good work on repairing fistulas in children, young women who have babies at far too an earlier age and the the plumbing is all affected. And she was a pioneer, she and her late husband, a, a real Australian hero, never got the amount of coverage in this country that she deserved, but she dedicated her life to East Africa. Now, those young women hopefully will have children who will become literate and uh, will want to have careers and not be pushed off as child brides at the age of 12 or 13. Now, this means that you therefore reduce the world's population. It's interesting, 40 years ago we were talking about the population bomb. Now we're not. It it still takes, it's trying to slow down population growth. It's a bit like a, a huge liner entering Sydney Harbour. You turn off the engines and you just glide into the harbour. Same with population that you can stop the, the growing of the population, but it takes a while for it fully to slow down. But we're now seeing that. So the good news is that we're not where we were 40 years ago when you had people like Paul Ehrlich predicting the world just becoming so full of people. We don't have that problem. In fact, in some cases, we're concerned because <laughs> we're running out of people. <laughs> Russia has a declining number of people. Japan has a declining number of people. And, of course, the Trump demographic in the United States is collapsing because of opioids, suicide and alcohol. And that's the white. It's a white middle, a white working class, non-college educated problem, male and female. And they're going out on, on uh, suicide, guns, opioids, etc. So it is interesting how we're, you know, the issue that troubled us 40 years ago is no longer being discussed. I no longer have to give talks about the population bomb. And one of the contributing factors to that has been the education of women. It was a lovely story I came across on a trip to India about how years ago in one of the Indian states, a minister for education started to supply school meals to young girls. So in India in the old days, the girls stayed at home. They helped the mother in preparation for their life as a a young mum. 
But this uh, guy was very innovative. He said, no, we'll, we'll supply meals to children, boys and girls. So suddenly parents started to send the girls to school because the girls would then get a meal and perhaps bring some food home to share in the evening. So the girls were getting an education. They weren't so much of a burden on their parents, which is good news for the parents. Girls were getting an education. 30 years on down the road, you now get calls at night from call centres from Indian women who have benefited from that literacy and now have jobs in call centres. Okay, not the best jobs in the world, but certainly a lot better than being pushed out of the house at the age of 15 as a child bride. They've got their own careers and they will then bring up their own daughters and they'll be really smart. And this is a huge change, by the way, for a country. Well, this is probably another issue in itself. <laughs> it's definitely another issue for itself, but where there's so much crime against women. Yeah. Well, that's right. But if the women are getting more educated, they're getting more confidence to be able to complain. So it may well be we're not got a sudden upsurge about crime. We're getting a sudden upsurge of women feeling empowered enough to complain about that crime. And so that, that represents also part of that social change. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Suda. We're talking about the cracker of the year it has been for humanity, which is ironic because we've got coronavirus, which is, you know, taking hold of the entire world at the moment. We've got bushfires that just happened, which have decimated our, a lot of our landscapes uh, around Australia and, and businesses as well. But it's been this, you know, great year in terms of literacy and rights for women and all sorts of other things. We've just had a great year uh, worldwide for women. How far does it extend, Keith? Well, it obviously extends to people living longer and, and being better educated. And this is a thing that you and I who work in the media, we, we tend to focus on immediate issues. So we've, we often discuss Islamic State or other crises. At the moment, of course, it's coronavirus. It's when you stand back and look at how far we've come in the last 2,000 years, we can see the progress. Now, this guy writing in the New York Times, his name is Nicholas Kristof, he said that he wanted to write about this because he says, I worry that deep pessimism about the state of the world is paralysing rather than empowering. Excessive pessimism can leave people feeling not just hopeless, but also helpless. And so I think that's an important message for those of us who work in the media, have got to convey a greater sense of hope. There is progress being made. We shouldn't be blindsided simply by the pessimism being created by the coronavirus or whatever the crisis happens to be, as you say, it's bushfire. This year we've had bushfires, then we've had floods, now we've got coronavirus. You know, it's like the 10 plagues of Egypt, I guess. <laughs> we've got another seven to go, Kate. So, but he says, look, we've got to focus on, on some of the good news that is going on. And he has a lovely story here. Readers constantly tell me, for example, that if we save children's lives, the result will be a population crisis. Remember, we've touched on that, which will cause new famines. They don't realise that when parents are confident that their children will survive and have access to birth control, they have fewer children. So you educate the women, but also ensure that we, you and I live in a society where children bury their parents. If you're in a society where parents bury their children, you have a lot of children. Remember Queen Anne, the subject of a recent movie, you know, she, I think she had 13, all of whom died before she did. Bangladesh, which was once derided, this is from the article, Bangladesh, which was once derided by Henry Kissinger as a basket case, 
yet now its economy grows faster than that of America and Bangladeshi women average just over two births. So in 1973, they were having seven births. Now they're at two, which is basically replacement level, which is the ideal population, 2.1 babies. Yeah. Wow. And so, it's, and so this is how the progress gets made. But whenever people think about Bangladesh, they'll think of Henry Kissinger's expression, oh, forget that place. I was patron of a Bangladeshi charity financed by the Australian government. We were taking money out of Australia uh, in fundraising activities. We were growing fish, fingerling, fish farming in Bangladesh. And one year, the entire project got washed out to sea. So I had to report to the foreign minister, sorry, we just lost all the money. And the, the view from the Department of Foreign Affairs was, we're used to it, it's Bangladesh. You shrug your shoulders and you move on. And yet look at this now. The Bangladesh economy is growing as fast as America's. And women are having just 2.1 births, which is the ideal rate of, of the, for any country. And replacement. Also, well, I was about to say, the only pictures you see really coming out of Bangladesh are ones of poverty, you know, yeah. like, you know, kids and, and women um, working in factories with their, you know, that are not regulated and building fires yep. and collapsing and killing. So you feel like it's a very disadvantaged society, but you don't see that flip side of it. Keith. We don't see the good news represented in our media. And of course, this was also where they invented the Grameen Bank. So the Grameen Bank, which actually means World Bank, The Grameen Bank is based on the idea that women as a syndicate will ensure the repayment of loans. And the man who came up with this got a Nobel Prize, well well deserved in my view. So he figured in in traditional Bangladeshi society, the money goes to the men. You don't trust women with money. So he then got groups of women together who would then borrow to finance sewing machines and they would then make items of clothing or whatever and they always repaid those debts. I hosted a meeting with this guy 20-odd years ago now uh, at an Australian bank, and the um, CEO of the bank said we would be honoured to be in the presence of a banker who gets virtually all of his loans repaid. At that time, this particular bank had lost a lot of money over a well-known Australian, I don't know, crook. So, But here they were, they were honoured to deal with someone who got all the money pretty well repaid. The women had a sense of honour. Uh, they, were, they were dealing with what are called micro-loans. In other words, loans that are too small for the commercial banking sector. And besides, you don't lend money to women because they're unreliable, right? So he created the Grameen Bank, which specialised in micro-lending, small sums of money to groups of women for their local projects. We see something similar going on now in Australia amongst Indigenous. So you sometimes will see me wearing an Indigenous tie, I support a cooperative up on the Tiwi Islands near Darwin where they make neckties. Isn't that extraordinary? So that's called microcredit. And that came out of Bangladesh. It's a good news story. Yeah. We simply don't publicise enough in this country. So then how does, well, yeah, I mean, I guess these are all stories about how the world has improved, but yet we're all we see, as you say... Uh, negative media stories and a lot of doom and gloom and fear. It is, exactly. And because the the media will tell you doom sells. Good news doesn't sell. But I think it is important from time to time, particularly at the moment with the current coronavirus crisis, that we do say, look, if you stand back and not be obsessed about the current immediate coverage, stand back and see humankind is actually making progress. We're not necessarily doomed. Now, there are a number of different alternative views, taking long-term views on this, but one point of view, which is given by Nicholas Kristof for the New York Times, is that we are making progress and we're making the world a better place. 
and especially when it comes to countries that are impoverished and behind, you know, developed nations, by a long shot, this is only good news. And this is the, the if you think about it, these are the emerging countries which will be very important for our future. Dr. Keith, as always, enlightening. Thank you. Global Truths was presented by Dr. Keith Suter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.